This morning, as we prepare to encounter God's word, let us begin with prayer. Holy Spirit of God, teach us, teach us what we need to know to follow you as your disciples this day. In Christ's name, amen. Our first lesson from the lectionary is taken from the Acts of the Apostles, and it is chapter 16, beginning with verse 16. This is a story about Paul and Silas as they were heading off to prayer. Now, they encountered a slave girl who has no name, the name is not given, and she has a unique ability to tell fortunes or a unique ability to reveal something that is hidden. She knows something about Jesus, it's kind of hidden, and she knows who he is. But you know what? She is irritating the Apostle Paul. He is annoyed with this young girl. So hear now the words of Scripture. One day, as we were going to prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul was very much annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of that very hour. But when her owners saw that they were the spirit of divination just moved. <laughs> when the owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us Romans to adopt or observe. Well, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing, ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been given a severe flogging, they threw them in prison and ordered the jailer to keep them secure. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we are here. The jailer called for lights and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word 
of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. At the same hour of night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. He and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. The word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel of St. John, chapter uh, 16. Here, and you know, it's interesting, we have the, the Gospel of St. John, and then Jesus' resurrection, and his ascension, and now we're almost to Pentecost, and next, next week, but we're backing all the way up to the time that Jesus was speaking to his disciples one of the very last times, where he prays for them, and, and not only prays for them, but also he is praying for us as well. Hear now the words of the gospel. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they will all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of the Lord. Are you aware recently of James Holzhauer, the current Jeopardy contestant who has now won, I think, 27 consecutive wins, and he's almost uh, the champion, the all-time champion, he's over $2 million in winnings. He is a professional sports gambler in Las Vegas. That's his profession. Obviously very intelligent. He, he answers the questions before I can even conceptualize what was said. You know, he takes the hardest questions, not the easy one, down to the hardest, and he answers it with the question. Like, how did so-and-so happen? He goes on to say that it's his gambling profession that gives him an advantage because he's used to taking risk and main, making quick decisions. Well, it's working for him. But another interesting thing is about James Holzhauer and his wife, Michelle. They live in Las Vegas, and they are known as a very benevolent couple. 
they given tens of thousands of dollars away to many different organizations and continue constantly in $10,000 increments. Recently, it was to help high-risk youth stay in school. It's to help libraries. It's to help education. All kinds of things. It's interesting. And so I ask, are there any comparisons of James Holzhauer and our girl in Scripture today in the book of Acts? They both obviously have a, an ability that most people don't have. One can tell fortunes, the other's pretty quick on the draw. And both of them are using that ability to make money. But that's about where it ends. James is free to make money and use his money or give his money away. The girl in our passage is a slave whose owners are exploiting her gift to make money for themselves. You know, I look at it almost like a situation of first century human trafficking. Even the Apostle Paul does not free the slave girl out of kindness or out of justice. He commands the spirit to leave the girl because she's getting on his nerves. How's that for inspiration for a Sunday morning? <laughs> if being a follower of Jesus Christ means you can snap at people and get annoyed, well, I'm on my way to sainthood. <laughs> Paul and I obviously have that in common. But despite Paul's flawed motive, he's still an agent of God. He may not be concerned about the girl, and we don't see that he's at all concerned about what happens to her when suddenly she's not able to make money for the owners. But still God's work is at hand, because that's how God works. God is God, and that's what's good to know. We are called to serve God, but that availability of grace and power the healing power is not dependent upon our motives or our good mood or our selfless attention to those around us. Thankfully, God works in spite of or less than with our less than perfect attempts. God still works through us because God is God. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we hear the story of exploitation and motive, help us to rely on you and not on our ability or our inability. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, I think our passage in the book of Acts speaks a lot about freedom. The young girl was not free, but through the power of Jesus, she became free. And before this story is over, Paul and Silas are not free, or are they? Let's talk about freedom, our freedom that is in Christ alone. The young girl can apparently tell fortunes or has insight. She was such a novelty that her owners hired her out for events or 
personal interpretations, we're not sure, but it was all for a price. She made the money. But what truly enslaved this young girl was not that her owners saw her as property and a way of making money, but the fact that she could tell fortunes enslaved her in a way. Just the fact that she could do that, it's truly kept her in bondage and to be exploited, held her captive. And so Paul comes along and through Christ, he removes that gift or that spirit of divination. There should be rejoicing. She's free. She was little less than property before, but, but what happens? It gets the owners upset. They, and they go forth to make this a public concern. They've lost their ticket to make money. This can't be right. And through all of this uproar, Paul and Silas lose their freedom. They're thrown in jail, in chains, beaten, imprisoned for actually doing a good deed. But Paul and Silas in prison, they don't protest their innocence. They're in prison singing songs and praying and praising God. In the midst of their unjust world, they stood as witnesses to a more excellent way. And a miracle happens. An earthquake occurs. The doors are open. The guards assume that everyone's taken advantage of this and have left, and Paul and Silas are not leaving because somehow, somehow they must be aware that what makes Paul and Silas free means death for the guards if they should leave. And so they're saying, we're here, we're here. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. And so Paul and Silas are set free. But I think actually they were free long before the chains were off. They were free because of their dependence and trust in God. Their freedom is evident. That is, the prison guards fall on their knees and say, I want what you have. What must we do? And they say, believe. And before it's over, the guards and their whole family believe and are baptized. See, things are not always as they appear. Those who appear to be free can be slaves, and those who appear in slavery may be more free than we realize. We live in a country that's free, but we also know as Christians that our true freedom is about our hope in Jesus Christ. As Paul and Silas, in Christ alone are we free. You know, even in this land of the free and the brave, we can become enslaved to many different things. The American dream, the good life, or what we think is the good life, that causes us to work longer, harder, faster, more competitive, cutthroat, take less vacation, not take care of ourselves. You know, Italians take an average of 42 days vacation a year, and Americans take an average of 10 days vacation a year. 
So are you on the average or below or above? We can also be enslaved to whatever our addiction may be that we think is going to take care of us that split second. We have access to so many of our addictions in abundance. It just makes it so easy. I have said before, all of those vices I like, I have to be careful not to get too close to them. We can be addicted to food, alcohol, gambling, work, all kinds of things. And our society seems to feed the addictions more and more in an attempt to cope with our anxieties in that split second. Money can also entrap us, enslave us, whether it's wanting to make more, not having enough. We can live in bondage to have a little bit more and a little bit more just in case, just in case. I think all of this sometimes can cause us just to hunker down and walk and, and not pay attention to all that God has given us, that unity to make a difference and truly make a chocolate cake. Charles Colson coined a term, prison shuffle, and I, I think it's an interesting term. Remember Charles Colson, he was a lawyer and then he was special counsel to President Richard Nixon. And in 1969 to 73, he was one of the five closest uh, to the president during one of the greatest government scandals, crimes in all of US history. But at the time, Charles Colson described, the, he was described personally as the White House hatchet man. He was considered as ruthless, cold, tough, tenacious, nasty. He was a former Marine captain and he once boasted that he would run over his grandmother to get the president reelected. And because of his involvement with Watergate, those of us who remember, he was convicted and sent to prison. But I remember in December of 1973, headlines grabbed us and grabbed the attention of the nation as it said, Colson makes decision for Christ. Well, that story met with a lot of skepticism and laughter and crude jokes. It was not exactly well received because of the person. But while Colson was in prison, he made an observation that he coined the prison shuffle. He said people who are imprisoned inside or outside of jail trudge along doing time with their heads bowed, their shoulders slumped, broken spirits, apathetic, bitter, defeated, and disillusioned. He said, they have sluggish souls. It's a, it is the shuffle of enslavement. They try to blend into the woodwork, mind their own business, and not call attention to themselves. I think we can see that the prison shuffle is not just confined to prison. We see people all around us at times who are free, but they're still doing the prison shuffle. No joy, no life, going through the motions, spiritually paralyzed, or as one author said, congealed. Gail Goodwin in her book describes there are two kinds of people 
One, you can tell just as you're looking at them at what point they got congealed into their final selves. It might be a nice self, but they're not going anywhere. They're not open to any new ideas or any change. They are set in thought, word, and deed. There's another kind, and that person is a person who keeps moving, who keeps changing, who remains fluid, even in their thoughts. They make new trysts in life. They keep youthful. They embrace change. Her conclusion is that we should all examine ourselves and guard against congealing. You know, Christ came to give us an abundant life, full life, meaningful life. And, and folks, we don't want to miss any part of it. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter your position or the situation. You may be in prison, so to speak, with the situation you are in. But don't give in to the prison shuffle as we can walk each day with God, singing hymns and praises and praying inside or outside of prison. John's Gospel tells us another reason to give evidence is our hope and our faith, that not doing the shuffle through life. People will look at us, and most of them will not be moved by our words, but they will be moved by our actions. When we become free to be all that God has created us to be, all that God has created us to be. We are no longer doing the shuffle, going through the motions, hiding, not entering the joy of life and living life to its fullest. Now, whether James Holtzbauer becomes the biggest winner on Jeopardy or, I'm, or not, I, I really don't know or care. But for me, his gift of answering questions is not the thing that should define him. I'm impressed with his actions, his actions of benevolence, of making sure that children at risk have an opportunity at education. And may we as well look to see where we may be enslaved and where we can be free to make a difference for the greater good in Christ's name. Amen.